You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Day 15 of the transit strike saw job action shift into a new gear. The number of cancellations is growing and the system is increasingly unreliable for commuters who depend on it. Jordan Armstrong is live with more on the impact. Jordan, what are you hearing from commuters? Chris, plenty of bus cancellations today, mostly in Vancouver and Surrey. But from what we're hearing, overcrowding isn't too bad, possibly because people are making alternate travel arrangements. When trolley wires came down in downtown Vancouver Thursday night, the lines were simply de-energized and moved out of the way. Repairs, which would have normally been done right away, were delayed more than 12 hours due to the overtime ban by maintenance workers. We just have a normal service. As a result, downtown buses were rerouted and commuters delayed. I think it just shows up within like every 10 to 15 minutes, but it's been like more than 20 right now. Friday, the overtime ban extended to bus drivers. Hardest hit the Vancouver depot where dozens of trips did not depart. At UBC, the disruption hits at a particularly bad time. Well, one got cancelled and then delayed, and then I was late for my exam actually this morning. No yeah. way. Yeah, I was. How late? Uh, 20 minutes. He's far from alone. Public transportation accounts for more than half of all trips to UBC. And the Student Society is calling on the school to be flexible this exam season. To ensure that students um, are able to get academic concessions um, if they're unable to make it out because of the transit disruptions. For many here, the bus is not just the better way, it's the only way. Oh no, we don't no. have cars. Sure, there are car share services. Evo saw a 30% spike in signups the first week of job action. But for these students, the option is neither practical nor budget friendly. If the entire commuting population of the university needs to use car shares, not everyone is going to get one. While the driver's overtime ban will pause for the weekend, it will be back Monday, Wednesday and Friday of next week. Of course, talks broke down yesterday, mainly over wages. And at this point, no new talks are planned. So brace yourself for more delays. Chris? No doubt. OK, thanks very much, Jordan. Jordan Armstrong up at UBC. Now, Saanich teachers rallying in front of the constituency office of Education Minister Rob Fleming today. The demonstration offering support and drawing attention to the plight of their colleagues, CUPE workers who have been on strike now for three weeks. That's left roughly 7,000 students out of school. Oh, we definitely uh, want to be back at work and we hope that happens soon. Uh, it's gonna be up to government to uh, step in in a positive way to make that happen. Negotiations broke down last week, and it's not clear yet when they'll resume. The union is seeking wage parity with surrounding school districts. Well, two years ago, the province brought in tough new penalties to crack down on excessive speeders in this province. And while it has made a difference, new data shows the numbers are still staggering. Catherine Urquhart has more on how many dangerous drivers are being pulled off our roads and the reaction from B.C.'s Solicitor General. Police around the province continue to catch speeders, many excessive speeders. Now Global News has uncovered staggering figures that reveal just how many vehicles are being impounded as a result. 
In 2018, 7,648 vehicles were impounded, about 21 every single day, 637 a month. It's shocking. Um, it's really surprising. And when you think about it, uh, excessive speeding, you've got to be going, you know, at least 40 kilometers over the speed limit. So you're doing 90 in a 50 zone. In other words, you're an idiot. Since 2017, more than 7,000 vehicles have been impounded every year for excessive speed, down slightly after stiffer penalties were brought in. Now, a first offence results in a seven-day impound, a second offence, 30 days, and subsequent offences lead to a 60-day impoundment. Plus, there are points and fines. People are, are not necessarily getting the message to slow down. Uh, we are getting quite a lot of excessive speeders in West Vancouver. Officers continue to impound vehicles for excessive speeding. Uh, so far this year, we've seen 243 excessive speed impounds in West Vancouver. Uh, compared to about 199 in 2018 year to date. BC's Solicitor General says the numbers are unacceptable and even stiffer penalties may be needed. I'm certainly uh, open to, uh, to looking at uh, the penalties that are in place, uh, to looking at what additional measures uh, you know, government uh, could be looking at, looking at what's taking place in other jurisdictions. Putting the brakes on excessive speeders could even include an effort to seize people's cars permanently. That is certainly uh, you know, a possibility. It's certainly something that I would be open to looking at. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Surrey RCMP are investigating a violent brawl. It happened earlier this week in Newton. It was recorded and then widely shared on social media. Aaron MacArthur explains what we know about the assault and the calls for leadership from the South Asian community. The violence is shocking. A group of young men chasing another group through a parking lot. They're armed and use their weapons to inflict serious damage. The video surfacing four days after this Remembrance Day rumble. Seeing this video is an opportunity for us to pursue other avenues of investigation that weren't available to us when the report originally came in on the 11th. It makes you angry, it makes you sick to your stomach. All appear to be South Asian. Suki Sandu from Wake Up Surrey says this level of violence is now everyone's responsibility. I think enough is enough because someone's going to get killed otherwise. While vehicles were damaged, one man was actually pulled out of the driver's seat of his car and roughed up. And other than the video anonymously posted online, nobody knows anything about this group of thugs. We do think that there are people who, as a result of seeing this video, will be able to come forward with information, and that's going to help us to advance our investigation. The, the mob mentality... Um, Community groups are calling on civic leaders and the police like to step up their action, but also pointing fingers squarely on the South Asian community at large. We need to expose people. We need to, we need to take some leadership now. Turning a blind eye is not good enough anymore. In August, a similar incident was caught on tape in the same neighborhood, and at the time, no one bothered to report the crime to the RCMP. Cops have stepped up their patrols of this neighborhood, apparently to very little effect. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The family of a terrorist man killed in a hit and run one year ago is making another impassioned appeal.
Those of you who have knowledge of what transpired and who is responsible, I ask you to think about the type of people your silence is protecting. And then think about Cameron and how he died and what he left behind. A year later, isn't it time for justice, for closure, for your silence to end? Cameron Kerr was struck and killed by a vehicle in the early morning hours of November 18, 2018. The 30-year-old had been walking east on Highway 16 toward Terrace at the time. His family issuing their third public appeal just days before the one-year anniversary of his death, calling for the driver and witnesses to do the right thing and come forward. A close call on Highway 1 near Chilliwack. That was the scene just after 11.30 this morning, the vehicle heading westbound near the Yarrow Road exit when this happened. The driver and sole occupant of the vehicle made it out unharmed, but he was shocked at how quickly the vehicle erupted into flames. Uh, basically, I was driving down the highway here, uh, and then my engine started knocking. Uh, I, it shut off, uh, then I pulled over, the cabin started filling up with smoke. Uh, so I got out and then I saw flame and it just erupted. Asbestos removal at a home in a Vancouver neighborhood is raising broader health and safety concerns tonight. Witnesses complained the company that was doing the removal appeared to be ignoring the rules. And while they're no longer on the job, Jill Bennett tells us why critics say there's little to stop them from doing it again. I'm not an expert, but it seemed really, uh, really sketchy. When Bruce Weisner saw asbestos abatement work starting at the house next door, he noticed a few things didn't look right. When I saw them using a nail gun to nail scaffolding uh, right into the very uh, stucco that they were supposedly going to remove, when I saw that no one had a respirator on the first day when they were disturbing some of the stucco, it just seemed very, very um, unusual. It's not overly common to have asbestos in the exterior stucco of a home, but Weisner knows it's there because he had a piece of the stucco that had fallen onto his property tested one week ago. The neighbor on the other side of the house came upon workers dry sweeping the stucco in the front yard. This is not safe, okay? What? I'm going to be calling WorkSafe BC. The company that was doing the asbestos abatement work, H&B Construction, is no longer involved in the project. A WorkSafe BC inspection report from November 6th led to four orders involving asbestos removal. One finds H&B Construction failed to assess the risk when securing scaffolding to the stucco, stucco that was deemed high risk. The company has also received 26 orders during the past three years for various violations. Well, the province does have strict standards through WorkSafe BC for asbestos remediation, for safety for employees, and to ensure it's done properly. The question is when it comes to a demolition permit issued by the city, uh, and uh, if those standards aren't being followed, uh, will the city uh, remove the permit or freeze work? It seems that there's an entire sort of industry that has really cropped up in the last couple of years to deal with the, the volume of uh, uh, demolitions. And many of these firms just do not seem to be properly regulated or accredited. The city says it will not issue any other permits for the property until the owner can demonstrate asbestos removal has been done in accordance with regulatory requirements. Jill Bennett, Global News. Right now, though, a warning for pet owners tonight as, a tr as troubling new concerns are being raised about a dog-sitting app.
Rover bills itself as trusted local dog care. But tonight, another family is grappling with the news their dog is gone and no one will take responsibility. Nadia Stewart explains what happened. We've had hundreds upon hundreds of people looking now. Kim and Dan Levinsky did not expect to spend their vacation in Mexico worried about their dog. Frankie went missing on Monday, not long after they dropped off their 11-month-old dog with the pet sitter. I got a call about an hour later that she had uh, basically jumped the fence and um, the person who was watching her, seeing her at the end of her driveway, and then witnessed her get hit by a car. Both the sitter and the Levinsky's searched the downtown Chilliwack area frantically, even hiring a dog-finding service. But days later, their purebred American bulldog is still missing. The most recent tip that we had was down in Fairfield Park. While the Levinsky's extended family continues to search, questions are being raised about Rover, the app used by the Levinsky's to find their pet sitter. At Rover.com, we help people start and build their own pet sitting businesses. The company has paid for these posters and is offering a $100 reward, but the owners are paying all other costs associated with the search, and they say that should not be. There's only so much you can ask for, obviously, if they have their, their rules in place, I guess, but... It's uh, a little disappointing that you use uh, a service and they kind of just, you know, wash their hands a bit and offer very minimal in, in ways of um, terms of health. This is not the first time a Metro Vancouver dog has gone missing while in the care of a Rover.com pet sitter. But for the Levinsky's, there won't be a next time. They're warning others so they don't experience the heartbreak of a missing dog. Nadia Stork, Global News. Well, not long after a record dry spell, Metro Vancouver is bracing for some heavy rainfall. Meteorologist Christy Gordon has the details on when it's going to hit and who will get the worst of it. Christy? Well, it's going to be a soaker of a weekend, that's for sure. Check out this atmospheric river that's pulling in that subtropical moisture, targeting the south coast. Here's the timeline for Metro Vancouver. So in the morning, not quite as heavy. It will develop through the afternoon hours. Heaviest later in the day, Saturday, overnight into our Sunday morning. How much rain? Well, well, the North Shore will be hardest hit. Same for the Howe Sound region in excess of 50 millimeters for those regions. But quite a distribution difference for the areas further south like White Rock, only about 14 millimeters. Nonetheless, we will see rain throughout the day. And when I come back, we'll show you the entirety of the mornings because there's a lot more. Mm. All right. Thanks, Christy. Another sign tonight that Canada's cannabis boom might not be everything it was predicted to be. Edmonton-based Aurora Cannabis is stopping construction on two major production facilities in order to save money. October 17, 2018, and it was lineups out the door. Now, more than a year later, the buzz has died down. We had hoped that we would start to see some of the loosening of the rules. Initially, stores faced supply shortages. Now, there's supply, but according to Meissen, not enough stores Canada-wide to sell cannabis. So what I think it was is that apprehension from government to put their hands on something um, that they were scared of. Meissen points to serious issues in the country's biggest market, Ontario. There are only 24 stores right now. When you look at the projections out of the states where you see states that have really suppressed the illicit market, it's one store per 10,000 people. That's right. usually what it is. That means Ontario is supposed to have 1,400 stores. Reflecting the new reality, Edmonton-based Aurora Cannabis paused work on a new facility in Medicine Hat. Another in Denmark has been cancelled. The news comes on the heels of recent quarterly results, which show income down compared to a year ago. It's a similar story with rival Canopy Growth. 
Shares of both companies and the sector dropped on Friday. Back on the retail side of things, Fire and Flower points out Alberta has set a good example, but there are some problems. Excise taxes for cannabis are high, and this week the province announced cannabis growers will start paying property taxes in 2020. Because that's going to get passed on to the consumer. So the challenge is we keep doing all these things that pushes up the cannabis price and continues to entrench the illicit market. As the industry matures, financial experts and those on the inside predict consolidation. As for when the industry will actually be in the green by selling the green, it's anybody's guess. We need stores, we need price competitiveness, and we need government policies that make sense. Vinash Pratap, Global News. Well, it might seem hard to believe that controversy would erupt over children's story time at a library, but it's happening in Kelowna. Some people are expressing concerns not over the stories being told, but who's telling them. Our report is from Global Okanagan. I like seeing the enjoyment in the kids' eyes. Tyson Cook, also known as Alter Ego Frida Wales, is getting ready for his second installment of Drag Queen Storytime at the Okanagan Regional Library in Kelowna. The first one on September 14th drew a crowd of 160 people. So it's always been on my radar. It's something that's happened in libraries across Canada, internationally, and uh, the timing worked out and I met Miss Frida Wales and we started planning. Proponents of the idea say Drag Queen Story Hour is a fun program that supports diversity in the way children may dress and act. I'm just like a of a fun character like a clown coming to read you a story. So it's always more fun when someone's dressed up and more enthusiastic. So I think if same kind of thing, it's just I'm a female character instead of a male character. But not everyone agrees with the idea. The CEO of the Okanagan Regional Library sent a memo to the library board. It read in part, the announced program, while claiming to be promoting diversity and acceptance, will be offensive to a significant segment of our society. Youth Services Librarian Ashley Makeham admits she did receive complaints leading up to and following the last event. I would say 20 in the first round versus over 100 positive comments. The library board looked to its policy committee for recommendations because only new policy could allow the board to stop events like this. The policy committee has decided, as you'll see in the public agenda, that we're not recommending any changes to the current policy and that head librarians should have the right to choose the content that's best suited for their communities. The next Okanagan Regional Library Board meeting is November 20th and the board is expected to make a decision then. Kimberly Davidson, Global News, Kelowna. In this video, a California demolition goes dangerously wrong. The wall crashes to the ground but topples out towards the street, just missing workers and passing traffic. Debris scattered everywhere, including onto the road. Thankfully, no one was hurt. The old mall in Cupertino is being redeveloped. About 100 firefighters and 22 trucks have been battling a fire in a Toronto apartment building. The fire has spread to a number of floors in the building in the city's north end. Six people were rescued, one taken to hospital with serious but non-life-threatening injuries. The fire department is asking people in the building to shelter in place if smoke and fire isn't present, saying firefighters are sweeping the building to assess conditions. A former Trump ally and high-level Republican operative is guilty of seven charges, including witness tampering and making false statements. Mr. Stone, 
Can you come to the microphones? Roger Stone is the sixth person in Trump's circle to be convicted of charges coming from the Mueller investigation. Prosecutors were able to prove the 67-year-old Stone is a serial liar who tried to bully witnesses, coercing them not to cooperate with authorities. His sentencing is set for February, and he faces up to 20 years in prison. Another shocking day of impeachment hearings in Washington, D.C., in large part sparked by the actions of Donald Trump. As America's former ambassador to Ukraine testified, she felt threatened by the president. He launched a Twitter attack against her. Marie Ivanovich was the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, a career public servant who testified she was abruptly pulled from her job after a smear campaign against her. And even as she described feeling threatened by President Trump. As we sit here testifying, the president is attacking you on Twitter. The president lashed out. Everywhere Marie Ivanovich went turned bad. In what Chairman Schiff considers real-time witness intimidation. It's very intimidating. Some of us here take witness intimidation very, very seriously. The president later firing back. I have the right to speak. I have freedom of speech, just as other people do. But they've taken away the Republicans' rights. Yovanovitch also said she was shocked and devastated to learn about the July call when President Trump told Ukraine's leader she was bad news and was going to go through some things. It didn't sound good. It sounded like a threat. Ambassador Yovanovitch testified the president's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, led efforts to falsely paint her as disloyal, aiming to clear the way for a shadow foreign policy that could help President Trump politically. Shady interests the world, the world over have learned how little it takes to remove an American ambassador who does not give them what they want. Republicans dismissing the ambassador's testimony as an HR matter, arguing she wasn't even on the job anymore when President Trump urged Ukraine's president to announce investigations into Joe Biden and the 2016 election while withholding military aid. The ambassador is not uh, a material fact witness. Uh, to anything. Also today, the White House released a summary of an earlier call between Presidents Trump and Zelensky trying to show he did nothing wrong. But Democrats say one call doesn't cancel out another. Alice Barr, NBC News, Washington. Prince Andrew has broken his silence about his relationship with convicted American sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. The problem was the fact that once he had been convicted, you stayed with him. I stayed with him. Andrew telling the BBC that he shouldn't have stayed at Epstein's home two years after the financier was first convicted of soliciting a minor for prostitution. Video showed the prince in Epstein's Manhattan mansion at about the same time. Because it was not something that was becoming of a member of the royal family. And we try and uphold the um, highest standards of, and practices, and I let the side down. Simple as that. Andrew was also asked about allegations from a woman who says she had been forced to have sex with him. She says she met you in 2001. She says she dined with you, danced with you at Tramp Nightclub in London. She went on to have sex with you in a house in Belgravia belonging to Gerlin Maxwell, your friend. Your response? I have no recollection of ever meeting this lady. None whatsoever. You don't remember meeting her? No. 
In Health Matters tonight, a cry for help from a Vancouver Island woman who's fighting a debilitating disease. Pella is in her 50s and she weighs 60 pounds. As Kylie Stanton reports, she's one of a growing number of adults suffering from an eating disorder who say they can't get the help they need. I think I weigh about 60 pounds. This struggle has been a lifetime in the making. You know, it may affect someone in their teens and then they get slightly better. Um, and then something in adult or midlife uh, triggers them again and they relapse. And that's what happened in my case for sure. Pella, who only wants to be identified by her nickname, is now a decade into her latest battle with anorexia nervosa. Desperate to access the appropriate treatment for her condition, which would include being orally fed. But she says in Canada, and particularly on Vancouver Island, that doesn't exist. Two weeks in the hospital being tube fed and then released just doesn't cut it. The biggest upswing in eating disorder diagnoses is in people between the ages of 40 and 65. What's even more concerning, due to the high mortality rates and frequency of suicide among those with these conditions, they're considered the deadliest of mental illnesses. So we're out there and, and we are dying. The numbers are only expected to rise. We need to have a much larger inclusive strategy and we need people to be listening to us. That call is being echoed by Canada's four major eating disorder organizations who have recently banded together to create a national strategy. And we have 10 years to kind of meet these 50 recommendations in hopes that we'll create a system that is equitable for people with eating disorders um, because they cannot afford to wait and we've waited I think far too long already. The South Island has a long way to go. There are only two inpatient beds available on a voluntary basis, and one-on-one -on -one therapy is no longer being provided. Island Health admits work needs to be done. As we look at our plan for the island, and we have one, we're acknowledging that we need to offer that spectrum of services. But Pella can't wait. She's been offered what she calls dignified and compassionate care around the globe, from Glasgow to Mexico. The issue is cost. At tens of thousands of dollars a month, it's simply not affordable. Now she has no choice but to try and beat it on her own. Which is quite daunting, but I'll keep fighting every day. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Fasten your seatbelts for the story of a pig who may not be able to fly, but does something even more important. In a pilot's cap and painted hooves, this one has a crucial job at a major American airport. That's coming up right after Christie's forecast. All right. It was, yeah, a little blue sky and sunshine out there this afternoon, but apparently, apparently it's not going to last very long. We'll check in with Christy now for the details. Yeah, the day started off soggy, and then we saw, yeah, some nice breaks of blue sky, but we're in for it now. This little guy preparing for the wet weather, building his dam. Thank you to Nikki and McIntosh for sending us that. So, yeah, starting off with our weather window because we've got major rain on the way. So these are the warnings indicated here in red. The areas in gray are the areas that are under a special weather statement. Nonetheless, here's the breakdown of how much.
central coast, west coast of Vancouver Island will see up to 120 millimeters, and that's for two days. So through the day Saturday and Sunday, uh, Sunshine Coast as well as Howe Sound up to 70, potentially a little bit more. And for Metro Vancouver, northern sections and northern Vancouver Island, 50 millimeters likely. Here's the timeline. So it's going to push in overnight. Tomorrow morning, heaviest in the central coast, northern parts of Vancouver Island. And then later in the day tomorrow, it shifts down into our region. So really the heaviest late Saturday into our Sunday morning for Metro Vancouver regions. Uh, we are going to see significant rainfall in all areas. But look at this, Squamish and North Vancouver surpassing our rain gauges here with excess in excess of uh, 50 millimeters, whereas White Rock will be a little bit less. So the further south you go, that's where you will stay drier. We do have a high stream flow advisory in place. All of the BC coast, a period of rapidly rising river levels are expected. So this is Sunday into Monday. So there's always a lag. Sunday into Monday, the heaviest rain happening earlier. Uh, stay clear of fast-flowing rivers and unstable riverbanks. And we're also expecting windy conditions for Metro Vancouver, 40 to 50 millimeter an hour, uh, kilometer an hour winds expected. So there's your forecast. Rainfall across all regions, although the heaviest will certainly be along the coast, including the south coast later tomorrow. High of 11 degrees, so certainly mild, and we'll see that on Sunday as well. Finally, some sunshine into uh, Tuesday of next week and Wednesday. Thanks, Christy. Sunshine in the distance. All right, we've all heard the expression, when pigs fly, to indicate something that will never happen. But this one in San Francisco comes pretty close. Um, it's just they've never seen a pig in the airport. Lilu is the newest therapy animal at the San Francisco airport, complete with a pilot's hat and painted toenails. The five-year-old Juliana Pig and her owner are part of San Francisco's WAG Brigade, a program that brings trained therapy animals to the airport to help ease travel anxieties. Lilu can shake a hook, pose for selfies, and play her toy piano. Like all the airport's therapy animals, she took part in a training program to make sure she has the right temperament for the job. Oh, I thought, is that a rubber ducky on her back? What is that? It's a bow. It's a oh. bow. Oh, yes. But she was actually playing the toy piano. Music is soothing. Music is soothing. Yeah. We had a bit of I a crash. A had, of... You might have heard a bit of a crash over there. <laughs> Sorry, the, the second, second time. time. Second time. I These keep mics are. my remote. The mi oh, is the remote? Yeah, the clicker. Oh, she keeps <laughs> throwing her clicker on the floor. <laughs> right, we met a new guy. Yes. We met a new guy who's going to be uh, leading the Whitecaps. There's it's a bit of a, there's now becoming a bit of a German Vancouver Whitecap wormhole here. Yeah. Because the Whitecaps sent Alfonso Davies to Germany, mm -hmm. and now Germany has sent someone to the Vancouver Whitecaps. He is their new boss, or if you look at his business card, he's their new sporting director. Uh, Axel Schuster, who was in Germany's top league with Schalke 04, I always like that name, uh, a team he helped build into a Champion League squad. Because of that, he should have a pretty good contact list of player agents around the world. Axel Schuster has spent the last two decades as a top executive in the German Bundesliga. He took a small club team, Mainz, and elevated them to a Bundesliga staple. And the past three years, he was at FC Schalke, one of the higher profile teams in Germany. Even after being relieved of his duties at Schalke this past June, Schuster could have stayed in Europe and landed at another top club. But the MLS and Vancouver proved too intriguing to pass up. It is a league that can make a lot of progress in, within the next years, especially with the spot on 26. 
And I think it is very important to to now to to find its own position in world football as a transition league, uh, just behind the top fives in Europe. Schuster's strength is in his process. He likes to build step by step. He's got a massive network of contacts in Europe, which the Whitecaps will tap into as they look to sign impactful players. But I'm not Harry Potter. Uh, I cannot make magical things, but. I want that everybody understand and also see the result that we are making development and progress. Our targets are very clear right now. If, if you want a lot of answers, you could steal my computer. <laughs> um, but our targets are clear. What we want to do is clear. Now it's a question of pulling the trigger and try to get the deals done. Let's face it, money talks, and the Caps haven't been free spenders in their nine-year existence. Schuster is coming from a club in Schalke that had a $300 million budget. The Whitecaps, less than 10% of that. But Whitecaps ownership say the vault is open if it means bringing in a key player. The resources uh, will be there to, to move, it, move it along with, with Mark and the MLS first team and investing considerably in all aspects of the club that we have been in our player development side as well. It's for me very attractive because I feel a lot of energy, spirit and, and good things going on here right now. What was that you just said? Gemutlichkeit. He's, he's feeling gemutlichkeit. All right. <laughs> I think so. I love gemutlichkeit. I do too. Is, but I like it. Um, how you doing? Uh, the most German I ever knew was from Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, the NFL has given Cleveland Browns defensive lineman an indefinite suspension. The defensive lineman I'm talking about is Miles Garrett after hitting Pittsburgh quarterback Mason Rudolph over his head last night with his own helmet. It was one of the craziest things anybody has ever seen, and I don't mean crazy in a good way. Another Brown defensive lineman, Larry Ogunjobi, got one game for his part in the brawl that followed, and Pittsburgh offensive lineman uh, Marquise Pouncey was suspended three games for going after Garrett after he hit his quarterback. But beyond the suspensions and fines, nobody can figure out what made Garrett do it, not even Garrett himself. You know, what I did was more foolish, and I shouldn't have allowed myself to, to slip like that. Rips the helmet off Rudolph's head and then eventually swings it and hits him in the head. I know it's Bush League. I know he's, you know, total coward move on his part. You know, I, I, get, I mean, it's, it's okay, though. You know, I'll take it. I'm, I'm not going to back down from any bully you know, out there. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I don't know. It's bigger than football. It's protection. It's almost like a weapon. I mean, hell, you could have killed him. What if you hit him in the temple? Now, let's be serious. It happened on a night when a lot of players needed their heads examined, not just for taking a shot to the head, but for the ones recklessly delivering them. Deontay Johnson is now in concussion protocol after this shot. But as awful as all of them were, Miles Garrett's helmet hammer overshadowed every one of them. No circumstance that we want anything to do with anything like that. Um, I'm embarrassed. Miles is embarrassed. Um, it's not good. So he understands what he what he did. He understands it's totally unacceptable, um, and we got to get through it. A lot of emotional game, play you know, high intensity, and uh, I wouldn't have any problems with 
know, inbound their team before that. And uh, just one play, one play got to me. Apparently, Carey Price didn't have a chance to shower this morning, so he's getting ready for the game between the Habs and the Capitals. Good passing by Montreal. Ooh, very impressive. Philip Dano scores there, makes it 1-0 in the second period. Think Shea Weber's getting old and doesn't have a shot anymore? Think again. Bob Bing! One time, red light, Montreal wins at 5-2 over Washington. Your angle for the one-timer. I know, you don't have, it looks like the goalie was ducking, too, although I would have as well. Are you oh. going to make us cry? No, yeah, you I are. have nothing to do with yes, this. you are. No, no, I don't think this is a cry commercial. Mm-mm. But John Lewis Department Stores in Great Britain, when they do their Christmas ad, that is like, okay, now it's Christmas season. Yeah. They are the ones everybody waits for. It's a long one. Here it is. John Lewis. Don't cry. <laughs> Christmas. So now, I know, me too. <laughs> you'll, you'll burn the place down. You will. <laughs> That's the problem. Okay, so if that made you weepy, there's only one way to get you up again, and that is to bring in House of Pain. Marks and Spencer, here we go. Magic was in the air. Everyone was wearing a special kind of a glow. 
didn't know jumpers or sweaters? Uh, in this group, yes. maybe. Out <laughs> there. The Did you know? No. In the world, no. Jumpers, jumpers are sweaters. sweaters. Don't feel bad. When he started speaking German, I had no idea what he was saying. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have one more? No. No, that's it. We're just oh, going to do two today. I thought that said juniper in the prompter, so I thought no, there was no, no, another no. one about it. No, no, no. Okay. okay. So I think we're going to get Sophie some glasses for Christmas. <laughs> Probably a good idea. <laughs> All right, last word on weather before we go. No snow in the forecast around here, at least. No, mild and wet through the weekend. So we will see the rain in the morning on Saturday, but really the heaviest later in the day overnight, Saturday into Sunday morning. Drier Sunday afternoon, though, everyone. If you have to get outside, I would say Sunday afternoon's your time period all right <laughs> block it in your calendar yeah. let's hope thanks very much for watching everybody have a great weekend have a good night all